welcome back to our human experience. Uh, different voice to start off the podcast today. Um, Melissa here. Last week, Chad took some time and kind of interviewed me, um, did a little dive into who I am, where I came from, and we're going to f- turn the tables today. So, are you ready? Um, <laughs> I think so. Yeah? First of all, I want to say you're all welcome for getting to hear Melissa first instead of me. <laughs> Kick this one off. Um, I am putty in your hands. All right. So when we talked about my life, um, a good portion of it, pretty much half of it involves you. <laughs> um, so I want to I want to touch more today on your childhood, where you came from prior to meeting you and meeting me, you know, having our relationship, and then digging into kind of your your version of some of the things we talked about. Um, in my interview, and then I'm going to ask you some questions at the end just to um, help the listeners. Okay. Okay. This sound, this feels dangerous right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Let's rock and roll with it. All right. So you come out of your mom's vagina. That is how it happens. Yes. Um, I know that you have some separated memories from your childhood. You don't remember a ton, but I want you to kind of talk about the things you remember um, and some of the most formative things that you think created you as the person you were slash are. Sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, as you know, especially in conversations with my sister, it becomes more apparent she has recall on a lot more things than I do, Mm -hmm. um, having grown up. So, I'm I'm struggling for, like, where to start. I guess um, we're going to make the assumption that my sister's father is my father. Okay. That is up in the air and likely never to be known. The, The other man in question was a man that my mother was engaged to um, in a serious relationship prior to meeting my father and the timeline was such that it like it could have been either person they had a huge falling out uh my my father as we'll call him um picked my mom up as as i remember the story picked my mom up on the side of the road after a car broke down or something along those lines and it like so anyway that all kind of went from there but the timeline was such that there was a little bit of uncertainty as to whether my father was the same man as my sister or the man before. Um, that guy from before, come to find out, has passed away. So I, it's probably one of those things that are likely hard, to, yeah. to never find out. And frankly, it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. to me. Um, so from there, a lot of my early childhood, I have a really difficult time recalling sequences of it and there's flashes of things that I do that I do remember um my father was an alcoholic and he was extremely physically abusive to my mother and to me um by the time I was in first or second grade we had already moved like five times um he had been in and out of our home two or three times <clears throat> at that point. And, you know, we went from 
living in random apartments, uh, like kind of shitty apartments, and like and bounce around living with my grandparents for a little while. And we ultimately landed in, um, you know, just outside of Syracuse in Baldwinsville, New York, and that's where I grew up for the most part from about mm-hmm. second grade on. Um, while we were there, there was a period of time where he, where my father came back into our life, and I, I want to say, um, I was I was probably seven or eight. Um, and there was one incident that I do remember where. Um, like he he beat me pretty bad, and then shortly thereafter, uh, he came after me for something, and I kind of curled up and, and rolled back and it like pushed my legs out. And when I did, it, uh, it like rolled him up and he smashed his head in the wall and it like broke through the sheetrock. I just there was a distinct memory mm-hmm. that I have, um, and then I then I got a nice ass whooping after that. Um, and then really the last memory that I have of him in our home, leaving, uh, I was sick. And I was sleeping downstairs, um, and the way the house was laid out, I could—I was in this room that was utilized as a bedroom at the time, but it really wasn't. Um, it had some pass-through shelves that you could see into the living room, and I heard a, a lot of screaming and yelling. And I stood up out of the bed and I looked through the where the shelves were, and I saw him uh, like punching my mom in the face, and dragging her around by her hair by the house. She mm-hmm. ran into the room, grabbed a gun and forced him out at gunpoint. And that was the last time that he was in our home. From that point on, I probably saw him, I'll call it maybe four times the rest of my life. Um, Most of which was, well, one of which was a time where he tried to come back into our lives to be like father of the year. I want to say I was probably like 14 or 15, something like that. And, and, uh, and two other times were in court proceedings, mm-hmm. and then another time I was uh, I was an adult, uh, my own, 22 maybe 23, and I randomly saw him out at at a bar, or restaurant, at Applebee's actually. <clears throat> um, so that's been about it. He uh, he's definitely a representation of everything I don't want to be mm-hmm. as a man, as a father, as a husband. I'm gonna stop you there for a sec. Do you any Do you know anything about his story, his upbringing. Nothing. I was so little when he was when he was gone, and um, by the time he was gone, and the limited interaction I had by the time I was old enough to even, I guess, be able to have those conversations, mm-hmm. um, I honestly didn't give a fuck where he came from. I knew he had another wife before my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had, I'm pretty sure, two boys and a girl with her so they were my half brothers and sister but they were I think like 20 years my senior yeah um I'm I'm asking that because some of the work you're doing now as an adult um mm -hmm. for yourself you're specifically focusing on compassion yeah and when you and you've said it over and over you know hurt people hurt people so it's probably not unlikely that he saw something similar. Sure. Um, in his, and that doesn't give him <laughs> carte blanche to, to beat the shit out of you or your mom um, or act the way he did. Um, but going through, and I know you're kind of early on in some of the work that you're doing. Has that been a thought at all yet that you might 
have any sort of compassion for him? Um, I haven't given it much thought. That's a that's a tough thing. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a tough thing for me to for me to like wrap my head around because it wasn't even just that. It it was, um, you know, he avoided even taking care of us like financially uh, to the point where my yeah. mom battled for and I don't necessarily in hindsight now like I don't agree with what she did it was fucking torture for us as kids too but she battled him for 13 14 years for child support that he wouldn't pay yeah. and he would just quit his job and work under the table he just did like any piece of shit thing you could and mm -hmm. then there were points you know at one point one of the court proceedings I was like 18 or 19 and I had like I happened to be home from the military and mm -hmm. so I attended and there was this like I, I got thrown out of the courtroom because there was some series of questions that were going on and his lawyer was just like basically pointing out the fact like well he you know his son is an adult now he's in the military self-sufficient mm -hmm. yeah and I looked at her and I looked at him and he wouldn't make eye contact. He just stared to the ground. I'm like, you're a fucking coward. And I just read, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you didn't take care of your kids for 13. It doesn't matter how old I am now. No, and I just, yeah. I had lost my bearing. I got thrown out um, of the of the, the courtroom or the hearing room that we were in. Um, so things like that. And, and even the idea that he could, the, like I mentioned before, he, where he popped back into our life randomly. I was maybe mm -hmm. like 14 years old. And it was, it was so fucking disgusting and fake like he had a yeah. new, he had a new wife he brought my sister and I to his house for Christmas time like it was like a two-week stretch and then he just couldn't bear it and make no mistake I was a fucking animal <laughs> right like I brought my friend with me I said I'm not going to hang out at your house um if unless I can bring my buddy and we're gonna hang out and you and were what 12 13 I was like 13 or 14 yeah. maybe 15 I'm trying to remember I want to say 14 something like that so this is I mean when you, that memory of, of your mom with the gun was eight, eight. Yeah. So this is many years later yeah. where he decided with no, pretty much no contact besides court hearings where he then decided to, so that's, that's not only awkward, like yeah. it should, he makes him feel uncomfortable, but how do you expect a 15 year old to wrap their head around that? Yeah. And it was weird because my sister had a very different relationship with him. Um, you know, thankfully he was never physically abusive to her. And I don't know if she was just too little or, or what the case was before he really left. And so she was excited about the premise, which was really weird. Like she was happy to be there and she was... Was like, she witness to any of the other things? I'm sure. But again, she was really, she was, she was little. little. So I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. how much of that really yeah. like sat with her. But I do remember, like, she was getting mad at me. And luckily, I mean, I'm not luckily, I guess. I, I had a tendency to be a bit of a bully. Mm -hmm. um, so during that stretch of time that we went back and forth and, and spent some time with him uh, for a couple weeks, uh, I stole tons of shit from him and his friends. Uh, I, you know, I, I broke shit on purpose. I ruined things. Like, yeah. I, I just, you know, my, my buddy and I got, I think I told you, and at the risk of losing a ton of uh, people's trust here, but we uh, we got high as fuck. Like, he suddenly found God and was going to church, which I was like, this is such fucking bullshit. Um, and him and I, my buddy and I, walked out of the uh, 
the church and just smoked a couple bowls and we got high as fuck and we sat in a coat closet and like took a bunch of shit and fucked with everyone's stuff in the coat closet. Um, <laughs> so we just, I just, I made it, I certainly didn't make it easy. Sure. For whatever prompted him and motivated him yeah. to try and do that. And my sister was very much like, she was listening to him mm-hmm. and like laughing and smiling and having fun. Yeah. And I was like, fuck you the whole time. Um, I mean, he tried to hit me in the car when he was yelling at me for something, he turned around and, and like tried to like take a swing at me. And then we happened to stop for a light or traffic and I just fucking got out and started walking down the middle of the road. When you were when you were older during this yeah, time? When I was like fourteen. So it didn't And then he got in he my face and it came him. to like mm-hmm. a there was like a moment where there was it felt like there was gonna be a physical altercation on the road in traffic in the middle like in during Christmas time. It was like yeah. right now. So and that was pretty much the the straw that where he was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. Okay. I'm, this, I'm not going to try it. Yeah. So, so let's pull back to your mom during all this. Mm. So did she ever sit you guys down, talk about what was happening with your dad? What was, what was the relationship like with your mother? This is, this could be a fucking six part series podcast. Sure. Um, sure. When you you mentioned earlier about doing some compassion work and bringing some understanding to people that that um, maybe in my perception either hurt me or didn't didn't provide something that I needed or was looking mm-hmm. for, um, my mother had a very very arduous road and a very difficult life, not just with my father but um, long before that. Uh, and so I understand a lot of her coping mechanisms. Um, it mainly centered around just reminding us what a piece of shit he was. Okay. So there wasn't really any discussion about like, that I can recall, I should say. Um, I don't recall discussions around like, you know, it's not, it's not your fault or, you know, this is why this happened and I'm sorry. Like, I don't, I don't remember mm-hmm. that. There was tons of animosity and anger toward him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she complained a lot and she struggled a lot. She was in court all the time. We were broke as fuck. So she worked anywhere from two to four jobs. She was going, I mean, there was a point in time where she had four part-time jobs and was going to college. Yeah. Um, so like she struggled and she worked her ass off to, to, care for and provide for my sister and I um but as a result you know you just like she can't be present sure I mean there were days where she literally was gone for 20 hours so Mm -hmm. it's you know and, and I don't I don't hold that against her because she was doing what she had to do to take care of us. But it affected you guys. A hundred percent. I essentially raised myself, mm-hmm. as did my sister. And, and we often took on, like, semi-parental roles, especially my little sister with my mom as, as we got older. Yeah. Um, less so for me. My sister stayed around the house more than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I went out and <laughs> found things to keep myself occupied. Uh, I, you know, I was out a lot. I snuck out a lot. Um, I mean, you know, I've told you before, like I started, uh, I started smoking pot and drinking, um, 
this summer between sixth and seventh grade. So I don't know, I was 12 or 11 or something mm-hmm. like that. Like I, I'm, I'm young when I go, uh, I'm on the younger end of Do you of think, I mean, cause you're smart. You're real smart. So mm. you're, eh. a sm- so, I mean, do you think that some of the choices you made were out of boredom, out of not having true role models that were showing you kind of how to be? Um, what do you think some of those choices kind of stemmed from? I would imagine a compilation of those things. Um, I appreciate the compliment. I was often bored in school. Um, you know, I thought it was funny to get like really high and go to class and still be in AP classes and stuff. And mm-hmm. and I mean, it, like, and I would have these little bets and stuff with people that were in general ed classes with me, like a health class or something, um, as to whether or not, and they didn't know me, and as to whether or not I was actually intelligent, and you know, I'd be like, oh, then here's my AP physics book that I'm in with someone else, like, and so it was yeah. just, it was, like, it was fun to me, but it, um, it, as a negative impact that I never really appreciated learning or really learned how to learn, mm-hmm. um, so as soon as it stopped just clicking for me, learning has become very, a lot more challenging yeah. for me. And I don't know that I, and I wouldn't even say it's become a lot more challenging. Like I've had to figure out how to do it because I don't think I actually learned anything. And you and I have talked about this a lot with our <laughs> girls with like our struggle with our current education system is I just I don't think I took, I took very little of value out of my time in school. And it's not a hundred percent on school. It's certainly on me. I mean, I was I was getting into trouble outside yeah, but of there. It, it goes back to your home life. I mean, my parents would, you know, if I failed a math test, not even the whole course, my dad would be like, I'm calling your math teacher. And this was like 11th grade, and I was mortified. Mm-hmm. So having sure, but that... I never failed anything. So that was, the, yeah. that was my smoke screen. Like, I had straight A's. I was in all honors, all AP classes. Yeah. So when... Like, that was the only litmus test that my mom had as to how I was doing. How are your grades? Oh, straight A's? Okay. Then you must be fine. Yep. Yeah. And my sister had really great grades, too, but she worked her ass off. It used to frustrate her when she got older. She studied really hard. She's diligent. And it shows now where she she really knows her craft and her profession very, very well. Um, But she worked really hard. But that was our, like, that was the main litmus test as to, like, is your room clean and do you have straight A's? Yeah. Like, that was it. And she wasn't around for most of the other stuff. And when she was, I was gone. Like, by the time she came well, and, back to being and around. To give your mom some credit there, those are some societal norms. Like, is your kid doing well in school? Then he must be a good parent. Does your kid take care of his space? Like, yeah. you know, those are things that society says. So, yeah. So, fast forwarding a little bit into, you know, out of high school. You don't, you don't really have a plan, and you decide to go to the military. So, I kind of had a plan, but this goes back to, I guess we'll stay in high school for a moment, where my impulsivity and my willingness to just like, fuck it, let's go. And that, that's that been a tool that's served me many times. It's also been a tool that's gotten me into some trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, but, I, but again, I had, I had no guidance 
mm-hmm. with anything. And the people that I hung out with, the friends that I had for the most part at that time in my life, they didn't either. They came from fucked up, broken homes. And, you know, I've told you before, like, I had people that I was like, oh, man, I wish I had their life because their parents lived together and were raging alcoholics and fuck and yeah. fought all the time. I'm like, oh, they have a mom and a dad at home. Like, that's cool, you know? And sometimes the, their dad, like, hangs out with them. You know, it, yeah. like, those were things that I was aspiring to. So I, I didn't have anyone that was like, what are you doing with your life? And, you know, I, I was drawn actually to... Um, design and specifically like architectural drawing and so that's actually where I was focused Mm -hmm. in high school toward the end and I was looking at schools um at a certain point I uh like (laughs) again I was super high with the same friend from the story from my dad's house and he's like do you want to play football and I was like sure mind you at that point I had never played an organized sport in my life I hadn't done yeah. any of it. It wasn't something that I was ever able to do because up until that point, it was mostly you had to pay for it. We didn't have any money. Um, you know, we weren't, I've seen people live in real poverty and like we, we weren't there, but we were pretty fucking close. Um, and so those things just weren't options. Um, so I ended up, I started playing football in my sophomore year of high school and that actually stopped a lot of my uh, like drug use and mm-hmm. alcohol didn't stop because of that, <laughs> but uh, it curbed it a little bit. Um, and I got focused on taking care of my physical health. I started, I wasn't, I got the shit kicked out of me playing because mm-hmm. I was weak and fat and slow and, um, and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, weightlifting and running and training and I actually got like in pretty good shape to the point where you know, as a sophomore, I, I think I literally played for like two minutes in one game ever and then started my junior and senior year. Yeah. Um, not that that's a huge accolade, but like for me, it was, it was important and it was, uh, it was probably the first time that I started to feel like part of something, um, that maybe had promise because mm-hmm. I was a part of my friend group. But it was no surprise that they weren't going anywhere. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you you recognized that, I'm it, sure. Well, especially in hindsight. But, um, so yeah, I was going to try and go to school for um, for architecture. And then I was like, I'd love to play football. So I was trying to find places that had both. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were D1 <laughs> schools, and I wasn't going to a D1 school for football. So that wasn't really an option. Uh, I certainly couldn't afford college Mm -hmm. um and you know i I, again i didn't try very hard i took my sats as soon as i could like the first weekend that you were allowed to so i I think it was like toward the end of sophomore year or something like that when Mm -hmm. you're allowed to to take it um i'm trying to i know the scoring structure has changed but when i took it it was uh it was out of 1600 and I remember laughing because someone was, there was something that I like, I totally, like I totally fucked up. Like I just didn't answer a whole section or something mm-hmm. on there. It was something ridiculous. And I still got like a 1240 or 1260 or something like that. And people are like trying really hard to get that sort of score to be yeah. able to get into colleges that they want. I'm like, oh, I'll just take it again. I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> like 
where that was, I was just, I didn't want to do, I, I didn't care enough. And no sure. one, no one was like, you should take yeah, it again. No, there yeah. was no one of influence. My mom didn't ask what I was doing for college. She didn't ask what my plan was. She had no idea. She didn't even know what classes I was taking. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it, there was, I was just kind of floating and figuring it out on my own. Um, the military thing was completely random. I randomly picked up a phone call. I had gotten a fucking million phone calls like every high school guy does from the Navy and the Army and the Marines and the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And um, most of them, I was like, no, I'm good. And I, you know, I'd talked to recruiters who'd stopped me before. I thought, for whatever reason, Marine Corps recruiter called me. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll meet with you. Again, mm-hmm. not, yeah. wasn't pre-thought well, out or anything. I just like Your grandfather was a Marine. He was, yes. And I loved my grandfather very much. Um, and do you feel like, going back to football, do you feel like that was maybe the first time that you were actually proud of yourself? Or do you have any memories of like... Yeah. For something that I felt was, like, I guess, val- valuable, like contributing to a, to a Or group, physically to a demanding that you had, was, to, you had yeah. to actually, like something that just didn't come easy to you that you actually yeah. had to work for? Yeah. I mean, especially the stuff uh, off the field in the, in the weight room training. I mean, I, I squatted over 400 pounds as a senior in high school, mm-hmm. and like I was lifting with the, the linemen, and... There's a lot of people that were a lot faster and stronger than me when I started playing that then couldn't keep up with me when when yeah. I was so I, I was I was very proud of it. With all that being said, my mom attended one game ever in three yeah. years. Um, no we, track meets, no wrestling, like none of the other stuff yeah. that I did. I started getting into other sports, you know, while I was there. Um, that she came to one football game during my sophomore year. Well, what I was gonna say was. Do you think having that camaraderie with with the sports that you started maybe helped you say yes to that recruiter and say, oh, like maybe this is something that if I can't play D1 football or mm-hmm. I can't go to a school that I want to go to and I'm, I would like to leave the friend group that I have because I know that they're not the best for me long term. I would love you... to tell you <laughs> yeah. that I had any of those thoughts. Yeah. Absolutely not. Okay. No way. It was a, again, it was a random, like, sure. Okay. Let, I'll meet with you. And then he's talking. He's like, you can travel the world and see exotic places. <laughs> All the fuck. Anyone who's served in the military that got any of those spiels when they're younger, these little placards, they're like, line up the ones that are the most important to you. It was like, travel the world, like, get real world trade. It was all this. It, it was, yeah. you know. So I'm looking at him like, Dude, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Sounds good. <laughs> like, I it wasn't a. I, I didn't talk to my mom about it. She didn't talk to me. Like the only I did have to go to her, um, because I was not eighteen. Um, so I actually didn't turn eighteen until after I graduated from boot camp. So I was I graduated high school at seventeen years old. So I had mm-hmm. to get I had to get her permission but that was literally that was like me going on a field trip i was like can you sign this and there was and no conversation there was no she's proud of me yeah she was like she was sad she like started crying like oh your grandfather would be proud like i don't want to make her seem like she wasn't an evil person she mm-hmm. just wasn't there and and it, during that time um I, I don't i'm trying to remember like the actual timeline of when she met my stepfather um 
like how old I was. I, I don't really recall. Um, but she had more time professionally. She was nursing and stuff at this point. She mm-hmm. worked a lot, had a lot, worked a lot of overtime, um, but just found herself in another abusive relationship. And it wasn't physically abusive, but it was, um, there was a, a fair amount of infidelity and there's a ton of emotional abuse and he was a raging alcoholic as well mm-hmm. um I and mean, i was privy to a lot of that relationship yeah, so I, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. you met him i mean it was yep. it was not uncommon for him to drink 30 beers in a night i mean they were labat blue lights but still it wasn't like a craft beer that no, we have it now was, it was not only <laughs> not uncommon it was every night it was like i gotta go get another case of beer yeah. Out. yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah so Going into the military, mm-hmm. how do you feel like that decision shaped the next few years of your life? Yeah, so it was weird. Like I, I think about like the initial moment of getting down to Paris Island, and I saw a lot of people over those months, um, like freak the fuck out and cry and be. I'm like, and it. I don't want to say it felt normal because it fucking certainly didn't feel normal. I don't want to be like, that was my life before. It was like boot camp. It was, it was not. Um, but there was there was a degree of comfort that I had acquired with being shit on. I don't know. Cause like mm-hmm. part, part of the premise is we're going to break you down and we're, you're all going to be the same worthless scum and yeah. then we're going to build you up and unify you so that you don't give a fuck if Johnny's white, black, or yellow, or purple, or fucking whatever color you like. Right. You're just, you're on, you're on the same team, and you have a mission, and you're here to accomplish that mission, and to watch out for your fellow Marines, for your brothers. And it, it just, it felt not, I don't want to say easy, because it sounds... Right, it felt like, like something you should be, that it, you should be doing. Uh, it just didn't feel that hard. Yeah. So I would watch guys have like mental breaks down, breakdowns and I'm like, what's the problem? Like I just, I just didn't, you know, and, and, well, and it's not, it was nothing against them, but it was just, I was so disconnected from that. And well, that's, that's, that was the word I was going to use. And also you've, you know, knowing you for as long as I've known you and watching you grow from 21 year old Chad to 39 year old Chad. Um, sorry, I just threw your age out there. Um, <laughs> You know, you've been able to compartmentalize feelings. And I think that, I mean, I didn't come from a traumatic childhood, but assuming that some of the trauma from your childhood is causing that, right? Where you're able to focus on what needs to be focused on and disconnect from the things that don't feel good. Yeah, sure. I I mean, it, it absolutely does. You have to you kind of disembody yourself like you remove yourself from the moment and i recognize that now i don't think i'm not gonna say i've recognized that no i'm sure you didn't but but i was searching for ways to also disconnect via drugs and alcohol um and continue to for a while you know after and um that was you know and, and there was also things like my the level of attention to detail and hyper vigilance like that's mm-hmm. that's a thing that is common with people that uh have some sort of trauma or some sort of um, abuse in their background mm-hmm. that I've come to learn that now. Uh, again, I didn't know that, but sure. those are also attributes that tend to make you successful in the military sure. uh, or tend to make you at least competent. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
in terms of how that shaped me, it gave me something to belong to. Mm-hmm. It started it started to create a chosen family um, yeah. for me. And it gave me, honestly, some time to reflect on, on what I wanted. Um, and there were moments where I, I changed. I'm like, man, maybe I want to be like a coach, like a phys ed teacher, because I thought about the shift in my life. And this kind of happened. There was a guy that I went to high school with who, who died while I was in boot camp. Um, and, and he was a buddy, and he was... Uh, he was an alcoholic, um, even in high school, as the whole family was. And um, I thought about that, and I was like, Jesus, like, my life took a fucking U-turn. And, you know, it's a lot of it has to do with sports. And not that my coaches were, like, overly doting on me or, like, really taking me under their wing or anything, but they were just stable and there. And mm-hmm. and I was like, maybe I could be that for, for someone. And so... Um, that got me thinking about teaching mm-hmm. and coaching. I was like, what a great job that would be to like to teach phys ed and coach kids and um, and hopefully, you know, be able to be that person for at least some of them that need it. And yeah. so it definitely shifted like my future mindset of what I wanted to do, um, at least to a degree. And I would say that once I was out of that real controlled setting of, of boot camp and just kind of got back into like quote unquote like regular life and was like in the military just doing doing the job and doing all that like that that kind of drifted away. I mean, I ultimately pursued it. Obviously, you know because that's mm-hmm. we met at Cortland, um, and, and I, I pursued that path. We both taught uh, for five years out in California, phys ed, and. Um, but I had this mindset, and, and I'm sure, obviously, you remember when we first met. Um, I had this mindset that, like, I was just not going to make it past 30. Like, oh, yeah. beyond 30 was not a thing that even... <laughs> so it wasn't even like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll go to school for this. Who the fuck cares? And at the time, I was making a lot of uh, really poor decisions for my life. I, I got... I was very violent um, and aggressive. I got in a lot of fights... Uh, a heavy, heavy drinking, uh, especially once I got, once I got out of the, the Marine Corps back into some, some drug use, not heavy, but like, but when I did, I would get really fucked up. Um, so it was, I, I just, I, I didn't see where there was a future for me in anything, even though I was like, Oh, I'll go to school for teaching so I can help kids. I know that sounds kind of like fucked up, but, yeah. but that's where my head was at, you know? Yeah, I mean, I remember. I remember what meeting you. You were twenty one, and you know, even early on. And... I was like, you got nine years, girl. <laughs> best bet, best case scenario. Yeah, I mean, you said a few, a few like eye opening things to me when we first met. Um, one of them was that you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll be alive after thirty. So enjoy your time now, basically. Um, two was, you know, I don't want to get married. And I don't want to have kids. And I said, okay, you know, we're we're young. I'm 19. I don't. That's fine. I just met I you. I don't want that either. <laughs> that was also a um, test to see if you were crazy. And then, <laughs> perfect. Um, and then the third one was, if my friends don't like you, this will never work. Mm. Um, and I've had really great relationships over the years. Um, 
have some friends that I still, you know, keep casual contact with. But your friend group was the first group that I met that, like, could beat the shit out of each other and say mean things and then come back and, like, and mo obviously most of them were men. So it was the first time I was around, like, interjected into a group like that where they just kind of automatically swooped me up and accepted yeah. me. And so, yeah. <laughs> we were, like, a big, I mean, you come from an Italian family, so we were, like, a, like a big crazy drunk high italian family that like to fight like but we but we you yeah. know when people were a part of the group we were ferociously loyal yeah is i think yes. what it was yes um yeah and yeah i mean i, I meant it when i said that because especially you know at that point in my life people like that were they were that that was all i really had i mean i never really established a close relationship with my mother ever mm -hmm. and obviously now as you know we I haven't had contact with her in over three years yeah um you know she's never met our youngest daughter um and that's an active choice that yeah that she made and I made um and and, I, and I'm okay with it I'm okay with it because there just really wasn't anything to lose there was yeah. no relationship to lose. And it sounds, for a lot of people, I know you had a hard time when this all came to fruition a few years ago, the last time that we that we saw her, I know that you had a hard time wrapping your head around like that concept of just never seeing your mother again. And, and we talked a lot about that you have a very, very different relationship with your yeah. mother than what I had with mine. You know, and, and, and we even asked our friend John to like, come over and chat about it and mm -hmm. you know yeah. and because it was it and and I've had friends say shit to me like you know holy you know like holy fuck man that's that's some cold shit that you're like yeah. not gonna see and I'm like but you don't you haven't lived my life and, well, and, and I'm not mad I, you you're right it is cold it's cold to be like well, I guess she's just not a part of our life anymore but but it's not I want you to go into a little more detail if you're willing about why you made that decision mm -hmm. um, because it's not you know I'm pissed off because of my childhood and because you weren't there no it's much deeper than that so can you talk a little bit about her story a little bit about you know and yeah. her you know going to counseling and and not really making the changes she needed to make for herself and how that affected you as a person as an adult sure um Again, I'm trying to trying to think how to line this up in a way that. I makes, mean, I don't think you need sense. to go I mean, into super detail, but talking about, you know, she she is clinically labeled narcissistic, correct, and and depressed. I mean, your sister has talked about that she deals with those things that your yeah. your mom does, um, and when she did pursue counseling, there was not a lot of growth, change, work that she actually put in, and she seems to very much sit in the past yeah. and focus on that and dwell. Um, and that was just something that you were not interested in continuing to be a part of because you were actively trying to work past some of the things that you were doing. Yeah. So you just, I mean, basically... I mean, I don't want to talk for you. You just said it all, right? No. <laughs> no. Um, I, I don't want to gloss over uh, the, the military stuff. We'll come, we'll touch back mm -hmm. on that. Just mm -hmm. know that I was in, you know, we, I was in... 
Um, you know, you and I were together for a lot of it. I met a lot of like amazing people that are still very close to me in my life right now. Um, and it was a formative experience in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, even though I, I don't think I necessarily recognized it in the moment. Well, and um, it allowed you to be, I mean, you became a leader in the military. So, I'd like to think so. Yeah. So it, it gave you that opportunity to actually use your skills, use your knowledge and help, help other people for probably the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so shifting gears from, from that, <clears throat> let's see, mom, I, I am going to backtrack us to the end of high school. Uh, I did mention that I had to bring my permission slip to join the Marine Corps to her mm-hmm. and sign. Uh, very shortly after that, I, well, shortly after that, I got really sick. Um, and... I was sick with viral meningitis. Uh, I was hospitalized for like, I don't know, a week, week and a half, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then couldn't go back to school okay. the rest of the year, the school year. So this was my, the end of my senior year. I, I wasn't in school for like the last, I don't know, four months or something like that. Okay. Three, four months. Um, and very shortly after I was out of the hospital... Um, my my mom and I had this huge argument over something really fucking trivial and stupid. Um, it was something to do with like the house not being clean enough or whatever when mm-hmm. she came home. And I had a girl who I was dating at the time at the house, and she said something really insulting to her. Um, and we, we just had this like blowout argument, mm-hmm. and you know I like I like smashed a glass through the wall and did all this shit. And I walked out of the house and she was like, she goes, "You walk out, don't ever fucking come back." And I turned around, I was like, I'll remember that. And then walked away. Um, and proceeded to not go home for, I don't know, a couple years until I came home. Um, I didn't see her at all for like seven months or so, if I remember correctly. Something like that. Seven or eight months. Uh she so to give some insight into like yes we went through tons of counseling i was in counseling a lot from like a young age she was as well Uh, my sister was as well i fucking hated it i never saw any purpose in it i didn't i didn't put any effort into it i got nothing out of it and i saw the same thing from her Mm -hmm. i saw her go be upset she would cry sometimes and then just be the same fucking person um yeah and so that went on for a long time. I mean, that that was. I think I had to start going in like third or fourth grade, so it like it was quite some time. Um, but back to getting kicked out. She went as far as to call around to any friends' parents that she knew the phone number to their house, um, and basically try and make it so I had nowhere to go and stay, so that I had to come back. So this was very indicative of. Um, how spiteful she could be and yeah. the the martyrdom and the victimhood mentality that she really cultivated and, and honestly that I learned and I struggle with a lot. Um, ultimately, my recruiter actually forced me to see her before I left for boot camp. I wasn't going back. And, and you know, there was a point where like we saw each other publicly like walking through a mall 
and she just walked past me. And it fucking blows my mind. So, and again, this isn't like to beat up on her. Like, I'm not mad about, like you said before, I'm not mad about those things. I mean, we've talked about this. Like, do I wish it was different? Sure. I wish I had great parents that I still talk to and like went to dinner with and shit. Like, that'd be great. You know, yeah. we had dinner with your parents last week and it was like, it was awesome. Like, it was such an enjoyable time. I wish it would be wonderful if if we had that same sort of relationship with my parents, but I don't. And so, and I never did. So it's not like something I miss, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, that was, that, that was my exit from high school was like living on, in friends' houses, bouncing from couch to couch and um, not going to school. I still was just running around partying. I got a part-time job with a buddy of mine. We were doing a bunch of silly shit uh, there. It's not really important. But, um, <laughs> I want to I want to backtrack to when you were sick. What was your mom like during that time? Like, did you see any like new sides of her where like she was legitimately worried about you? I mean, she, or, of course, oh. she was worried about me. She checked up on me. She worked at a hospital. She worked like right across the street from where I was. Yeah. So she came in and checked on me, and I got like some special treatment because she was a nurse. And um, I mean, I, I don't want to paint the picture no, like not... she didn't care. I mean, my mom would break down crying and apologizing but what in hindsight what it looks like is it it felt like that abusive relationship where someone um where someone does something mean or hurtful to you and then they come back and they're bawling like, i'm so sorry i'm such a shitty person and and, and they make it about them, them. Mm-hmm. when they've done this and then they just repeat that over and over and yeah. over again like there was a lot of that and i think like I know, I know that my mom did the best she could with the situation that she had with her past and the things that she, that she was dealing with. Um, and like I mentioned before, she had a, a very hard road. She had a horrible relationship with her mother. Um, she loved her father. He passed away pretty early. He was only like 60, um, when he died. Uh, she had some sexual trauma when she was younger, like yeah, multiple abusive relationships. It was just, you know, again, not to give carte blanche to act however you want and not work on those things, but there is a reason behind where, where she landed, um, or how she behaved. And, uh, you know, she just never found up until this point has not found a path to move forward from it. And, and you mentioned it before, she's very much someone that lives in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you'd like, I can jump to like how we got to this point where yeah, we how, don't have contact. How did that and, affect you and what made you get to that decision? Yeah. So the biggest thing was honestly our daughters um, and mainly our daughter at the time. I mean, you were pregnant when we yeah. last saw her, but um, we didn't have Aubrey. <clears throat> I mean, up until that point, I tolerated my mom. You know, I did it out of obligation. We'd, we'd go and have lunch or we'd go see... But it was and... very surface. Always. I mean, there she was, didn't know no... our friend's name. I mean, my, my parents got invited to our friend's weddings. Yes. You know, and your mom didn't even know their names. A hundred percent. And it was, you know, she had her hang-ups with your parents. Like, mm-hmm. it was feeling her own feelings of inadequacy about you know, what she viewed as her shortcomings. 
um, and then being reflected on, like, well, you know, Matt and Michelle, they'll fucking, they'll just buy you this thing, or they'll take you on a vacation, I mean, like, I, I mean, you know, I hadn't been on a vacation until I met you, mm-hmm. um, and so there was things like that that I'm sure it hurt her that she was never able to provide those things. And instead of just saying that, she would say mean-spirited, like, cutting things about, you know, about other people, including your parents. Um, and not all the time. Just periodically it would come up. But it was yeah. always, to your point, it was always surface. It was always, like, an obligation. It was unpleasant at best, you know. Or it was, like, bleh at best, I guess. Yeah. Um, it was white bread at best. And, um, you know, that kind of proceeded for a while and I would always get real like tense and irritable and angry, like easily angered, uh, whenever a visit from my mom was, was impending. And it was just this reminder of who, who I became as a result of my time with her. And because I very much and I still struggle with blaming the world around me for shit that's happening. I struggle with with being in that victim mentality. I struggle with feeling like the world is against me and there's no like there's no room for success for me, whatever that means, whether it's personal relationships as a father, as a profession. It doesn't matter. Like I really have a hard time with seeing that anything will ever work out for me. And I'm much, much better with that now, but it's still very, very difficult and it's been, for me. it's been work for it's you. It's been a tremendous amount of work. And it was almost as if, again, in hindsight, I can look back and recognize it. In the moment, we didn't really, I didn't connect the dots for a long time mm-hmm. when we were spending time with her. It was that every time we spent time together, there was just this like fucking negative energy of bitching and complaining and like, ugh, like it was just well, and, and heavy it took, and like and you were doing work you were working on yourself during that time and you know from what you communicated and what I watched as an outsider during those times you would get knocked down a peg or two yeah. and then you'd have to work back up to where you were before the visit yeah and I think prior to us having kids cool I'm comfortable suffering I didn't, I didn't, and I'm not saying it was cool. I'm not saying I should have kept doing it. I'm saying that was my mindset was that I I was like, whatever. Like, this is just my life. This is what it is. And, and I'm very, I'm very comfortable suffering. I'm uncomfortable feeling joyful and happy and successful and calm. I'm much better at it now. I had a really, really hard time for a long time. Again, one of the reasons that I sought inebriation a lot of times was was just because that was the only way I could find it made it easier euphoria sometimes yeah. and it was only sometimes because a lot of times it also brought me to rage yeah. um, well there was I mean being a part of that with you there was a tipping point and it was something that would make me anxious when we would be out or you know be drinking it's like okay you're a ticking time bomb when is that time where fun chad's gonna turn into not fun chad yeah right and not fun chad wasn't like grumpy chad it was no like, not fun chad let's was break sliding glass doors and punch people in the face and get in a bar fight yeah, like and, and yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um so you know we came by once we started having kids i just it really dawned on me like how negative she was and we had a lot of conversations around 
prior to having Dylan around, what we wanted to do as parents, Mm -hmm. um, what our priorities were, what was important to us. And for me, it's so fucking important to try and break this cycle. You said it before, hurt people hurt people. And that's true a lot of times, but it's not always true. Hurt people can also find a way to heal, and then they can heal people. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do as a father. Like, I want to be the antithesis of the father figures that I saw growing up. Um, And ultimately, it came to a head over something... So that that concept was bothering us. Like, you know, we would ask her to respect certain things right. with the girls, with like whether it was not bringing over just a bag of shit every day, like every time you see them with a bunch of random junk that they don't need. Um, you know, not like just a, a variety of parenting things that we just asked, please respect this. This is what we're doing in regards to, you know, media and food and like belongings and things like that with our girls. Like these are the things that we're trying to instill. Right just through our actions and through the way we live our life. So please don't do that. We appreciate it. We appreciate what you're doing. If you find yourself at Carter's and you want to buy a hundred dollars worth of random shit that we don't need, please just put a hundred dollars in her, um, in her college savings. If that's what you feel compelled to do, you know, and, or like get one thing, one token, not 17. Right. Right, and that was the thing. It was weird shit. Like, hey, this doctor I work with gave us gave me a three foot tall Mickey Mouse. Oh, from, I do remember that. Remember that? Like, what the fuck? Why? Why is a random person that we don't know giving my daughter a gift to a place she's never been, and it's a character she doesn't even know what it is? Like, <laughs> you know. So it was. We had those conversations, and that stuff was coming to a head. And ultimately, they came up to visit her and, and her current husband. Um, and we had been having, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but we had been having like a pretty rough week with Dylan, with the business. Like we were just drained. And it was one of those moments where like, oh, we fucking told them they could come visit. <sighs> Let's just go do lunch. Yeah. You know that they're going to be itching to get out. It was, it was as much an obligation from them as it was from us. Like, they would come to visit, and you know, it would be it like... It would at least feel that way, yeah. They, they would, it would seem as though they were, like, waiting to get the fuck out of there the moment they got there. Mm-hmm. So we were just, like, in the same mindset. We're waiting for you guys to fucking leave, too, you know? <laughs> and so we went, and we had brunch or lunch or whatever, you know, and, and they're always easy. Like, we're easy when we go out to eat. Like, you're not. You're cheap as fuck, and you want garbage food. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily easy. Easy is, I don't care, I'll eat garbage food or I'll go to a five-star restaurant or I'll have a fucking hot dog. Like, it doesn't matter. That's easy. Yeah, well, yeah, their lifestyles were, are very know, different. Very different than So, ours. either way, we oblige. We go to the places that, they, that they're comfortable because um, it's not a big deal. And within, you had had multiple conversations with my mom about her wanting to talk to me. Like she had, you know, she had, was feeling some sort of way about stuff and, and she just wouldn't do it. And you talked to me. I said, no, I'm, and it wasn't about being stubborn. It was, I said, it was about, I've watched this woman beat around the fucking bush, do nothing to assert herself in a real and meaningful way. And, and make no meaningful change in her behaviors and her mm-hmm. the way she engages in the world for 30 years. I'm not starting the conversation. Well, and you, I mean, 
in a in a parent now being a parent, you shouldn't have to. In sure. that scenario. And that was and and so that was the conversation you and I had had, and she kept talking to you about like I need to talk to Chad and blah blah. blah. And you kept telling her like then talk to him. You gave her multiple opportunities to do it, and she wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it was awkward as fuck. There was a point in time where her and I went on like a walk, and I was just waiting for her to bring something just to start the conversation. She would not do it. Yeah. And so shortly after all of that, you know, they were here for that lunch. They leave, and within 10 minutes, I get a text message about how fucking rude I am to be not, and and she's like, you're being rude to me is one thing, but being rude to Larry, and that's her current husband now, like, that's, he didn't do anything, but he's always nice to you, and take it, I'm like, and I just, I responded back, I go, if you have something to say, you should have said it 10 fucking minutes ago when you were here. Mm Mm-hmm. Not, I go, not act like a fucking child and send a text message when you're on, when, when you're driving down the highway. And, you know, we, we exchanged a few messages back and forth. And I know you were like, just get on the phone. I'm like, no. And I, I sent a, she, she said something about like, I don't know what your problem is. I said, fine. And so I typed a fucking essay into my phone about what was bothering me about her it included a lot of stuff that we've already talked about yeah and the response was basically well i'm sorry that you remember it that way i remember that and i was like i'm like i don't want to talk to you ever again was basically the next message and and from there it just kind of went on into perpetuity there were a lot of moments where she tried to inject herself in our life via my sister because my sister still has Mm -hmm. contact with her and i had to have uncomfortable conversations with my sister and i I feel bad for my sister that she's kind of stuck in the middle because she is maintaining that relationship and i am not um but i will not play this game where she's like Oh, I'm trying to, you know, Chad won't let me come up there, but I'm trying to support him and his family nonetheless because I'm the martyr. Right. Look at me. Everyone's mean to me. It's all like the world just shits on me and I try and do wonderful things. Right. And again, don't get me wrong. I saw my mother do a ton of really wonderful things, especially in her career as a nurse. I saw her do things that were so above and beyond the scope of her job. Like she's capable of it. I just, the conversations that you had, you and I had before and that I've had with my sisters, I've yet to see any change in who she is. And when she's around, I'm a worse person. I'm a worse father. I'm a worse husband. Like, I just am. And I cannot fucking, I won't. I won't risk that with our girls and with our relationship because that shit means way too much and and again like do i wish i had a great relationship with my mother sure but i don't i have a no relationship but even before we stopped talking i had a eh. it was just like really wasn't yeah there wasn't anything there she didn't know anything about me you point you talked to that before she not even about you she didn't know anything about me like i'm her fucking son and she knows nothing about me so like I'm not heartbroken to watch that relationship fade and, and go. Yeah. 
is it off the table that I would ever like reconnect and and uh, welcome her back into her life? Absolutely not. Nothing is is you know out mm-hmm. of the realm of possibility. If I'm a betting man, I'm not betting on it. Yeah. I, I haven't seen anything that's moved where she's moved herself personally in a way that I would be comfortable welcoming her back into my, my life. I am ultra fucking protective of our girls and of you. And, and we appreciate that. And, and that was, you know, I think a lot of that did have to do with the way that I grew up and watching my dad be really abusive to my mom, to women. Like, yeah. I went the other way. Rather than being mm-hmm. physically abusive towards women like he was, I was ultra sensitive to it. And I got into fist fights when I saw someone pushing their girlfriend or something like that with like random fucking people that I didn't know. Right. And so it's, it's sad in the fact that at some point we're going to have to have this conversation with, um, with our girls. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And I also think it's the best thing. I agree. For them and for me and for you. Um, and, and that's kind of how we landed there. And unfortunately, like I said, my sister has become, uh, she's moved up here. She's close to us now. Her and I have become a lot closer as siblings. Um, she's become a wonderful aunt to our daughters. And I, I feel for her because she is very much in a parental role with my mother and, and basically mm-hmm. helps to like guide and counsel her and, yeah. and, you know, and you've mentioned it before that I, I think she has a, she carries a burden of responsibility as like a caretaker to our mother uh, that re- she really shouldn't. Yeah. And sometimes I feel guilty that I was able to be like, and cut ties and fucking, good luck, sis, figure it the fuck out. <laughs> like, you know. Um, I don't know if you need to feel that. She she could do that if she felt compelled to. Yeah. And um, I don't know, maybe if she ever did, maybe that's the thing that pushes our mother to actually change. And I, and I don't know. And I'm not going to push my sister to do that. That's her mm-hmm. decision. It's her prerogative. Um, but yeah, that's how, that's how we got to okay. where we are now with that relationship. So moving on, where do you want, what do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about California and <sighs> teaching? Do you want to talk about where you currently are today? Yeah. Let's, I know we discussed a lot of, like you said, we discussed our yeah. relationship and I know you wanted to focus more on like where I came from prior to that because I think it, it does set the I, tone for a lot of our relationship and the stuff that's yeah. happened over the years. It's a little more understanding. Um, um, and and I'll, I'm happy to touch some of the same things that you talked about okay. um, briefly and then I'd love to talk about where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, so if you if you didn't listen to the first part of this, go back and listen to Melissa's interview or my interview of Melissa. Um, we started dating about a little over eighteen years ago. Uh, we met at Cortland. <clears throat> we got engaged right before I left on a deployment, and I, at that point, I had never felt the degree of, of closeness to someone I dated that I did with Melissa. And in hindsight, I also didn't want to get married, but I didn't want her to like 
leave, you know, <laughs> and be be in college and and like find another guy or whatever. And so we, I saw this as like the necessary step in order to let her know that I was serious and I really wanted her to wait. And um, you know, right or wrong, that's the decision that we made, right? Mm-hmm. And it was super romantic. I was really drunk and like just what's romantic? Gave, like rolled over and threw a ring at her. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you wrote just, in a journal every day. I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, uh, we, we were engaged, did the deployment and we touched on this before. Like when I got back, I was at a point where I could get out of the military and I either, a a lot of times you can kind of linger for a little bit and just like, I'm not sure what I want to do. Um, I was not afforded that opportunity because they were changing the the jobs in our unit. They were shifting from uh, from tanks to uh, LAVs, and that meant that everyone had to go back to school. And for me in particular, because I was in uh, leadership positions, I had to go to a couple of leadership schools as well. And basically, it looked like you're going to be home for like a month or two, and then you're going to be popping in and out of various schools for the next like year, year and a half, um, where you'll be home for a couple weeks, a month, mm-hmm. month or two at a time, and then back out for another three or four or five, six months. Um, and then after which you're going to deploy back to Iraq. And like, so it was basically like you have to re-up and the four years that you re-up for, you're essentially guaranteed to be de- either deployed like away from home in some capacity for roughly three of them. <laughs> so, uh, and you mentioned we were young and I mentioned that we, you know, you were really, I didn't understand how important, but you were really important to me. Um, and at the same time, so was everyone that, so was everyone that I was in the military with. So, it put us in this weird position when I came back where like I had to make, there was no like pondering for a while and yeah. I had to make a decision and you essentially, I don't want to make it sound like you were mean about it. I think it, but it was you, a you, little, but looking back now, like I recognize that I was probably insensitive about, Yeah, it, like it, I didn't understand why you, you couldn't know. be connected to these people and not be in the military Yeah, and what that really meant. Yeah. And so you basically gave, you gave me a choice. You said, you know, I love you. I can't stay with you. If you sign back up, if you're gone for this much time, if this is really what it means, like, I just can't, you were just gone for a year. Like, um, and that was, you know, you had every right to say that at 20 years old who wants to be like yeah I want to sign I'll definitely stay with you sign up for four more years you're going to be gone for 75% right it would it. it would have been different if we were if we were older married you know sure. had had a more established relationship but our our relationship didn't even have yeah and, really strong feet you know and the reason that that's even relevant or important is I don't think at the time I recognized um how much that decision weighed on me obviously ultimately I decided to to get out and I had some conversations with guys that I really cared about that um, they were hard for me. And it wasn't like a fucking drum circle hugging. They just asked, like, oh, what do you do? Like, where, where are you slotted to go? What school? Like, the assumption was I was staying in. Right. Um, 
and the leadership positions that I was in before then, like I, it took me a while to get there mainly cause I also got into trouble in the military and like, um, but when I was in leadership positions, I took the fuck care of the people that, that were working with me and that was recognized and appreciated. And because I knew I appreciated it when I was in those positions and leaders, leaders took care of me and I fucking hated it when they didn't. Um, so there was almost like an assumption by a core group of, of men that I really cared deeply for that I was just like, I'm in it, I'm in it to win it. I'm right. going with you guys. Right. Um, and so telling them that I wasn't was, was really hard for me. And, um, in hindsight, I can recognize now that I carried a fucking tremendous amount of resentment for you because of that. Um, this, the, a lot of these guys were the first people that I felt were like family to me. Um, so that was just like, that was a heavy decision and I don't think I even gave it any, any real time to recognize how heavy it was. And as a result, I just sat with all this fucking anger and feelings of of resentment towards you and feelings of failure myself and feelings of letting down these people that I cared about and and I I mean you remember I used to for a while I had I was having a bunch of nightmares of going to guys funerals yeah and like just fucking drowned it out with booze just got really drunk for a long time um we went through a lot of, we already talked about a lot of our, um, our struggles with our relationships and, and really those all started as a result of, of basically that moment. Um, and, and it didn't get rectified until that first time, or it didn't even get recognized, I would say, until that first time that you and I, uh, went and sat with, with a counselor in California. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I'm glad that it did. And so I found myself often uh, being drawn toward or attaching to people that I felt were more broken than me. And I didn't mm-hmm. feel like you were. Yeah. So I didn't feel like I deserved you or that it made sense for me to be with you. Because... I was your project and basically I wanted a project is how I viewed it and that I couldn't contribute anything to our relationship because I was such a fucking mess. Yeah. Um, and obviously those, that's, that was my perception of it. And so that, that was really the, the foundation of all the struggles that we've had in our relationship. Um, and the things that we've overcome and I'm really proud of it. Uh, I mean, outside of that, our time in California, fucking loved it. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be there now. <laughs> this, this time, this, with everything that's going on, um, with the, the pandemic and everything like that. But, uh, cause I just think they're making some fucking terrible choices. <laughs> uh, but I tried really hard to get it at all our family, family and friends to move yeah. out there. I just I love the mountains and the environment. It was beautiful, and we really enjoyed our time. But we did we deeply missed the connection 
mm-hmm. to people back here, yep. um, which is what brought us back here. Uh, and again, not to gloss over the last like nine or ten years um, that, since we've moved back, but we did talk about it with you, and yeah. uh, we had some really, really hard moments. We had some fucking amazing, beautiful moments during that time, owning the gym and meeting new people and coming together with, it's, it's been, it was, it was life. Mm-hmm. Like it was all of it. It was joyful yeah. and painful and I was angry and ecstatic and like it was yeah. everything. Um, I'd like to fast forward to you working at Warrior Salute. Mm-hmm. I think at least from my perspective, that was kind of the moment where I think some of this self-growth really took off for you. That was a formative shift for me. Um, and, you know, I have to thank my brother, Tommy, um, because him and I had some major struggles as, as, as friends um, as a result of some fucking really stupid shit that I did. Uh, and we eventually moved past it and, um, he had actually had that position at Word Salute mm-hmm. prior to me and he was getting ready to leave and he knew that I was kind of, that I was nervous about having Dylan, mm-hmm. you know, you were pregnant with our first daughter and I was like, we have no fucking health insurance or anything like, you know, and, um, so he, he called me and said, dude, I can't find like a single worthwhile applicant for to replace him. Like he was basically doing the interviews to replace him. And he's like, "What do you think about coming? I can like I can help get a good wording, get you a, a better starting salary. I can like we can talk to he's like I'll talk to Joe about getting like getting it in writing that you your benefits can start immediately so there's no delay so that it helps with like with the pregnancy and hospital bills and I'm like Fuck it, yeah, let's do it. And you know, went in, did the did the interviews, um, crushed it. I feel like I guess I don't know. They hired me. <laughs> um, you know, my my as you do. My immediate supervisor was laughing on the way out of my like second or third interview, um, and he was awesome. He he since left that toxic fucking company and went to another place where he's super happy. Uh, but he he was walking me down. He's like, oh, you know, what are you doing after this? And I said, well, I've been living in shorts and sweatpants for the last 10 years and I've now used all of my button-down shirts that I own so I need to go buy some like dress clothes like adult clothes to to come to work in and he just started laughing um and he was really a great example of like a like a, a good headstrong leader who wasn't a bulldozer and wasn't like mm-hmm. he just he knew what the fuck he was doing and he had no problem standing up for what was right yeah. Um, which is ultimately what held him back in that company because the CEO of the company is insanely toxic and just he he runs that company via fear yeah. and uh, and intimidation. Um, and so he, I mean, he flat out told Joe, he was like, you will fucking never have a seat at the table. You will never be a C-level employee here because they would just go to war over stuff. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, Joe had turned... Anyway, I'm not going to wait down. He, he did a lot of great stuff for that company. Um, he since moved on, really happy. But he was an awesome, awesome example mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. leadership. And then in my immediate like day-to-day work team, I just had... I had a bunch of 
really great people that I was able to work with that only got better as I was there, as we cultivated. Like we, we let go of some people that were, um, that were a little bit toxic and we brought on some, uh, some other just rock stars. And so it really, one, I felt compelled to learn stuff to talk to people about because I realized, like, I don't, what am I going to tell them? Like how much I fucking clean and jerk? They don't <laughs> give a shit. Like, yeah. So I started reading, listening to podcasts. Uh, I had to drive a lot. For, for work so um, I had a lot of time in the car so yeah. I utilized that time mainly with books on tape or books, audio books or whatever um, audio books and, and podcasts and things of that nature instead of just always listening to music so I started to learn a, a lot and I started to become really interested for the first time in a, like a wide variety of topics and um, kind of stumbled into meditation and journaling practices and and that was, you know, via like Tim Ferriss. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I started trying that and, and, uh, had a lot of conversations with our mental health facilitators at Warrior Salute. Um, and they were all like, they were so good at their job and they were so good at, at explaining and teaching me. So I had a better understanding, even though I didn't have a clinical role there, it was, it was really valuable for me to understand what they were doing and why because I had to present that information to other people oftentimes and I needed to sound like I knew what the fuck I was talking about at least to some degree. Um, but it was great because I was able to learn a lot of that stuff like personally for sure. me. Um, and you know, so the, the, some of the rock stars from that were, were obviously John Elliott, who was my uh, counterpart on the clinical side in terms of leadership positions. Uh, Kimberly Kalish, Dr. Kalish, um, and then uh, Isabel, the three of them were just like, yeah, they're so awesome. And you know, you know I mean, and, and it was such a, and they're still parts of your life, which they is are. and cool. it was such a, like a beautiful time, um, because I wasn't in a clinical, uh, role. I was able to, like, we brought the girls over and you over to the, to the veterans house and stuff. And it was like, it was really meaningful for me to be like, to talk to some of these guys and be like, dude, I was like, I was on the cusp of burning my fucking life to the ground right yeah you, you don't have to stay here you don't have to stay there like, right. here's my little girl like and and it was helpful like it you know i really valued that time um yeah. and, and i started like i mentioned before i started doing things outside of there with meditation and journaling was the first kind of dip my toe in the water mm-hmm. of bringing some more awareness into my life, into myself, into my behaviors and actions. Um, and it really, I don't even, I can't even really recall why I started doing that. But I do remember, and I always share this, it's always funny to me, the moment when I had a, uh, there was something stressful happening in the house. I don't really remember exactly what it was. And you were stressed out, and Dylan was a little baby at this point, And I was like, I'm like, here, let me take the baby. I'm like, just relax, do that, and I, I said something, I don't even know what was said, but I just remember you turned around and you're like, you're so fucking zen. <laughs> and it had, I had been practicing daily meditation and journaling for about three months or so at that yeah. point, and I hadn't necessarily noticed a shift in how I was behaving, but when you said that, it was like the nicest compliment <laughs> ever, you know, where I, like, I was like, I 
am kind of zen. Like, normally I would just lose my shit. Yeah. And fucking yell in this scenario. I'd be right there with you, making the situation worse. Right. You know? And it was it was kind of cool. I was like, oh, maybe there's something to this, like, fucking woo-woo hippie shit that I'm looking yeah. at. And so that just sent me further down the the exploration of looking at alternative healing methods not only for myself but i often i wanted to bring it to the table i mean yeah at warrior you did so much for warrior salute um in that regard i just i wanted these guys to know like your 17 medications from the va are not the only option right there are there are other ways to do this um and and so that was really cool i got into the like the sensory deprivation tanks i you know i was reading up on um on the use of psychedelics and things like MDMA to, to work with um, with the PTSD and end-of-life trauma and all mm-hmm. those sort of things. Uh, and this was like when it was really, really early on. Like when I first started reading up it, I don't think John Hopkins or whatever had even started their initial trial that yeah. was pretty popular when it, when it started. Um, but I was just reading and listening to people about that sort of stuff. Um, I was... Uh, I just lost track of there's something I was gonna say other outside of that, um, but the, yeah, we did. We were doing the float tanks. We were looking at like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, mm-hmm. and just looking at all these things that were um, that were outside of the norm of typical mm-hmm. practice um, or what we typically prescribe people that are struggling. And I found a lot of value. Oh, um, connecting with Dr. Mark Gordon out in California. Uh, really digging into mild traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I've uh, I'm not certain, but I'm relatively sure I ha- have had some small degree of that between um, like being young with some of the abuse when I was younger, and then I've been knocked like out cold, unconscious three times, um, fighting, <laughs> and. Uh, like professional boxing? Yeah, no, I didn't make any money. <laughs> I actually, it actually cost me money when I had to go to the hospital. <laughs> um, so, and then uh, concussive forces from things like explosions and, and, and whatnot. Um, so there was a point where I noticed I had a really hard time with um, cognition and focus. Uh, I was having really emotional, like big emotional swings. And uh, I stumbled upon Dr. Gordon, and I reached out, and I talked to a couple of the guys that work with him with the, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuck it up now, it's the Angel Warrior Foundation, I believe, um, is mm-hmm. the, that sounds right. that's the foundation that uh, Dr. Gordon assists with um, for veterans, and basically they, they work through, now it's even better than it was when I first talked to him. Now they provide a full, um, they do a bunch of blood work, and they, it's a very comprehensive intake, and it's a full-on like nutrition, lifestyle, movement, uh, supplementation, medication program that they have these guys on. And a lot of what they were finding was that um, guys were having hormone, like massive hormone disruption as a result of mild traumatic brain injury. Yeah. And if they could find a way to either kickstart or replace that, specifically testosterone was a big one, um, that it was literally turning guys' lives around. I mean, I talked to two, two guys. Uh, Andrew Mars, I believe, is the guy who is like one of the founders or co-founders of the Angel Warrior Foundation. He was one of the guys that I talked to 
Um, and his story was just awesome. It was amazing. Like, yeah. it, look it up. It got me super pumped about those sort of things. So I was just exploring all these different options and I was reading and I was like, I'm like, holy fuck, I'm an interesting person. <laughs> like, it, like, I felt not dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I felt like I had some interesting ideas or things that I had come across or things that maybe a lot of people weren't talking about. Um, and, and so, like, that was really fun. It was enjoyable, and I felt like I was getting a lot, like, just becoming a better person in general as a mm-hmm. result of that. And, you know, now, recently, it's kind of culminated. We have, you know, we have a mutual friend. Jesus, this will be the third time I've, we've mentioned Brian, I think, on the podcast. <laughs> but um, we have a, a friend that you've done some work with, and, and him and I were talking at one point, and he had mentioned something alluding to like medicine ceremonies. And so I, I dug into that with him a little bit and he introduced me to, um, to, to his tribe, to his group that, that was facilitating some of these ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And that's something that now I've, uh, started to dive into, uh, probably about eight months ago, seven, eight months ago when I went to the first one. Um, that has been like, really really profound and I'm really excited about it and I don't want to go like way down a rabbit hole because I would love to do it uh to do a show at some point about some of this stuff um and bring some of the facilitators and and guides and stuff in uh to talk more specifically about it but for me it's been it's been really really powerful experiences and something that, that I foresee being a part of my life for for quite some time in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, I convinced you to be a part of, of the next one that I go to. Convince me. Well, you know, I opened the door is what I like to say. I opened the door and you, and you became, I did, I invited you in case you were feeling called. Um, no, but I, I, I'm excited about that because I, I'm seeing people there like really connecting with themselves, with one another, with mm-hmm. moving past whatever the narrative or story it is that's in mm-hmm. fucking embedded in their mind and being able to like well, change their lives. And that's, it's really profound for me. And it's also like personally, and it's, and it's also really amazing to be a part of it and to watch it happen and to see yeah. something that is, in my opinion, so lacking in our culture and our society even before the pandemic but it's only been magnified after of this like lack of connection the first time i went down i was like welcomed into this family and no one fucking knew who i was yeah you know and it was just it was beautiful and like it's really shifted my perspective in a lot of things and and I, i have a tremendous amount of of work to do still I, I realize but I'm I'm having these kind of breakthrough moments that are just they're really profound and interesting to me and it's like oh my god this is this is like a like poking my head through the window of what life could be like mm-hmm. if I didn't have all these yeah. fucking crazy stories in my mind well and you're talking about me going down watching you has kind of changed my perception of it, you know, I thought it was something, I was pretty close-minded about it. I was, I thought it was something I didn't necessarily need because, because I don't have trauma in my history. 
Well, right? I would and like to put it out that I don't not, know if anyone needs it. You know? Yeah. But it's not all about trauma. Like, I have lots of narratives in my head that I yeah. think are stalling progress in certain areas of my life. So, I'm very excited about that. And watching you go through this. Um, and, I mean, knowing you since you were 21 to now, like, you're you're a completely different person in the best ways possible. So. I appreciate that. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you some questions. Do Anything else you want to touch on? I don't think so. Okay. Um, I will. Let's. Let's take just a, a, a break here, guys. I apologize. We are going to take a quick little tech break here, and we'll be right back for Melissa's questions for me. So please continue to listen. All right. Thank you for hanging tight for a moment. Um, we are we're right back into it. Melissa's ready to fire off some questions here, and I'm just going to sip on my goat coffee and, uh, and try and field them the best I can. So... First thing I want to talk about is your proudest moment in life so far. Or a few. I know it sounds fucked up, but I, I don't, like, I don't know. There's things I'm proud of. But even that is like, that's, this is part of, this is part of, why I'm doing the work that I've been doing for the last five years. It's like, I... I don't know if anything I've done ever that I've ever felt like it's that important or that it really warrants much recognition. And I think there's a degree of that when I, when I think about it. There's a degree of it that I maybe look at through this lens of like humility and so it's a I think it's a positive thing mm -hmm. and I think humility is is very positive right like we need some humility um but much like anything else it, it can it can go too far to the point where you just don't believe in yourself and you don't recognize it and if I think really hard there's things that that I've done there's things that we've done together that I'm I'm immensely proud of um, and I don't know if I could boil any, any of those things down to a moment so I guess I'd, I'd say our relationship I'm very proud of but it's not something I did it's something we did mm -hmm. there's a lot of moments that I'm proud of how I father our children and there's many moments where I'm not um, <laughs> same <laughs> you know in particular there's times where I just bring it up there's just a moment of like deep awareness when I'm spending time with one with one of the girls or both of the girls and I'm just locked into it and that like I'm really proud of that simply because it's just I have no recollection of ever spending time with parents in a meaningful way Ever. And, you know, e e even when you think about things like holidays, like we just didn't celebrate them. And we did, kind of, air quotes. My mom usually just worked yeah. on them. Um, 
So even in those like kind of stereotypical like Hallmark card things, like we just didn't. Um, same thing when I apologize to our daughters for and let them know that I make mistakes too. And you know I you know I got upset or I yelled or I whatever whatever the thing was and, and just owning that mm-hmm. um, and letting them know that everyone messes up and that it's important to recognize when you mess up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, recently with <laughs> Aubrey having meltdowns at the end of the night, um, she gets so she gets she, she's so emotional in her little body. Um, when you and Dylan leave the room, she's like shaking and quivering and like heaving with her breath. And I just I put my hand on her um, on like her belly and, and chest, and I I take big deep breaths and and breathe her and I look at her in the eyes, and she just like almost at this point now she like almost instantly like settles, mm-hmm. and and I'm like oh, okay I can I can do this for my girls like I can and so mm-hmm. I'm 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 proud of those of those things. You should be. Um, Those are the biggest things to me. I mean, we've done things like build the Catalyst games up, and at one point we had a pretty <laughs> big, successful gym that, uh, you know, we made some choices around, and it doesn't look like exactly the same anymore. Um, and, and some of those things, you know, I was, I was definitely proud of in the moment. And, mm-hmm. But I think I might have been more proud of the recognition. Yeah. And not that I was doing something good or meaningful that I wanted to you know it wasn't bad but it wasn't like organizing the catalyst games was cool Mm -hmm. I liked the day of um and I was proud that we put a team together that were able to to pull it off it's not like I did it myself you know what I mean it was a huge team of of people Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't look back and be like oh my god that was like I'm so proud that I did that I'm like eh, okay you know it's mainly stuff around you and the girls and the time I've taken for myself in the last five years. All right. Six years. <laughs> I don't know how many years. Um, is regret a thing for you? Or have you gotten to a point where you're, I don't know if happy is the right word, but satisfied, no <laughs> satisfied with what's happened in your life because it's gotten you to this point? Hmm. Yes to both. Okay. I still have a, a difficult time um, ruminating in the past and fixating on past mistakes, decisions I should have made or should not have made. Um, I think the difference now is I, I really I've done a much better job of, of not letting that thought or that kind of idea or regret fixate in my mind and and ruminate for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. I've I've done better at not letting that happen. It still does, um, especially when things are at a high point of stress. Um, And I'm, for the most part, excited about where we like where we go from here and 
I'm working on being happy and content. There's certainly moments. Um, cool. And, you know, those moments are amazing and they're, they're great. And I just want to facilitate more of them. And we can't be happy all the time. That's not my goal. Mm-hmm. And I don't have this like crazy yeah. thought process around that. But there's certainly, I don't feel like I laugh as much or play as much as, as I used to. Um, and so I'm working on those things. And yeah, so I would, I would say, yes, I do have regrets for things that I've done or not done. Um, and I also have gratitude and appreciation for the choices made that have brought me to where I am. Cool. I love it. What is one thing that you, Chad, today wishes you could tell Chad at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old? <laughs> Save 10% of everything you make. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, so I'm 39, I'll be 40 this year. And, uh, been broke for fucking more than 75% of my life. Um, and it was, it's funny because I was thinking about this today while I was driving here. Uh, like the thought popped into my head. I don't know the exact quote, but I've, I've heard it said a, a number of times. And in different ways, <clears throat> like the difference between being poor and being broke. Um, I don't feel poor anymore. And I used to for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel broke. <laughs> um, so I, and I Is think it just the negative connotation around those that's, words? That's, yeah, like broke or is, a state broke, of being. Broke is, it's a state of being, right? Broke is just money in your bank. Right. Poor is, is a state of being. Yeah. And, um, you know, money isn't everything, but that's usually said by people that have money. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I'll I'll leave it at that. Like, I think that that wouldn't have solved a lot of issues throughout my life. Uh, but it certainly would have, uh, like cushioned some of the things, you know, as, as time has gone by and given a little bit of space. Um, so like, that's a simple thing that I would have said. And then it's really hard for me to think of like a really meaningful thing that I would say to myself because of the fact that I, I simultaneously carry regret and no regrets about the choices I've made and how I got to where I am. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd maybe tell myself to take some more space. It's probably one of the most valuable things that I've gotten out of meditation and journaling and those sort of things and, and mindfulness and, mm-hmm. and awareness um, is understanding that that I need space. I need some solitude. I love being around people. I am an extrovert and it also drains me. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to put so much into that and crave those interactions so much that, that I'll just keep the conversations going. I'll keep the party going. I'll keep the whatever the thing is that we're doing. Let's keep going. Um, and if I string too much of that together, it, it exhausts me. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of that when I was younger. Never, no stillness, no solitude. Very, very little, I should say. Well, then you'd have to face yourself and think about yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't really like who I was. Um, yeah. 
that would be that that would probably be the thing I would say is cool. take some more time cool find some some solitude because then I would have had to face <laughs> myself and probably would yeah. have started this journey a little bit earlier yeah um, as we wrap this up um, if someone listening your story resonates with them and they haven't gotten to a point where where you're at today um, leave them with some advice something tangible that they can start with simple something to start with on your own breathe I mean there's so many resources now for various types of, of breath work um, understand what you're doing right if you're in a constant state of fight or flight which I have a tendency to be things like Wim Hof are not no. the best solution yeah. for you right at least not as a staple um, like I'll use it sometimes in, in lieu of coffee mm-hmm. which I really like to do uh, but there's a, a, there's a, so many different techniques out there that you can find and just find one that resonates with you. So sitting with your breath for just a, a couple of minutes a day can really, it sounds silly and cliche or, or you know, whatever. Um, but making time for that every day can really start to have some profound impact, uh, whether that's in silence or guided meditations or whatever. Uh, but I would, I would say that's a big one to just do on your own that really you don't need any help mm-hmm. with it. Uh, just remember that the practice of meditation is literally the practice of bringing your attention back to your breath and stillness. It's not about clearing your mind. It's not about not having thought. It's about exercising the muscle of coming back to that point of awareness. And um, outside of yourself, I'm going to add on actually to the meditation thing. Take care of your physical health. I think that's literally the only thing that saved me throughout my life. Is that once I started playing football, I gave a fuck about my physical health. I didn't always act in accordance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did some a lot of stupid shit that jeopardized my physical health and well-being. However, with that being said, for the most part, I'm a, a pretty physically fit, healthy person. And that really allows me to manage mm-hmm. some difficult things. Yeah. Um, and so, so whatever that means for you, maybe that's cleaning up the way you eat, getting better sleep, yeah. you know, more water, get some more exercise, whatever, depending on who it is, right? Um, and if you don't know how, ask someone who does, right? Ask someone who you trust and, and you know. So those are kind of personal things. Um. Outside of yourself, reach out, find, create, foster meaningful relationships. You fucking need it. Especially if, you know, I I spent a long time being like, fuck the world, riding solo, um, and not really ever letting... Like, not really ever letting anyone, like, really mean anything to me. And, like, I've, I've, I've come to realize so much more, especially in the last, like, year and a half or so. I've come to realize, like, how important a 
other people are in our lives. And maybe those are people who have been in your life for a while and just starting to create, make that relationship more and more real. Like get, throw away the bullshit surface conversations about last night's TV show that you guys watch. I'm not saying that you can't ever have those, but you've got to start. There's so much posturing and surface level bullshit in the way that we communicate with one another. That people aren't real with each other and people feel alone. It's one of the things that really resonates in some of the like ceremonies and stuff that I've gone to and listening to people that are going there. It's like you like every person in the room feels alone. And I'm like, but you're all fucking here together. And they recognize that and mm-hmm. they appreciate it. Um, and I have to believe that that's that's common. You know, talking to my sister about the mental health world and those are like this is a, a common belief. And the problem is, is we're so fucking busy walking around trying to tell everyone that we're doing fine, or trying to show off or posture what we have, or this vacation that I went on, or I got a new car, or fucking whatever. You know, I hit a new PR at the gym, or everything's great, right? All the time. I'm not telling you to be a fucking downer for people. Just be real. Mm-hmm ask some real questions once in a while and take the first step. Stop looking at your friends, your family and saying, well, they never fucking reach out to me. So why should I reach out to them? That is the wrong approach, (laughs) right? Take some fucking personal accountability. Understand that this will benefit you and them. Mm -hmm. Right. And like I said, find those relationships, build them if you don't have them. You know, and if you do have them, reinforce them, foster them, continue to to make them better and more meaningful as time goes by. Because, you know, <laughs> you're, you're not going to get to the end of your journey and be like, man, I wish I had, you know, made one more sale in my life at work. Or I wish I had written another email. Yeah. Or I wish I had bought another new lamp for my house. But you sure as fuck will probably miss not seeing someone that you care about yeah. as much as you wanted to. Um, and not connecting with someone in a way that was helpful or meaningful for them while they were there in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, So, yeah, there, there's some stuff for outside of your own personal action. Is I guess it is your personal action, but it's involving other people. Um, take that time, give yourself space with breath and meditation, take care of your physical body and connect, like really connect. I think a lot of people talk about it. Yeah. Fucking be about it. Do it. Actually do the thing. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Any last words? Carpe diem. Seize the fucking carp. No, um, uh, no, I think, I hope everyone followed along and I hope this wasn't too long for you guys but I, I really I really appreciate it I, repre- I appreciate you carrying this conversation and the questions and, and things yeah. that you brought up it was thanks for sharing your journey it was great. you're you're a beautiful human inside and out oh thanks and I know honey both. oh yeah you do <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thank you for joining us today um, follow along on our Instagram page share our episodes make sure you Subscribe so you know when new ones come out, and we'll be back next week, and you'll hear Chad's voice more. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. All All right, right. guys. Bye.